This podcast will discuss essay number one, analysis, focusing on the short story cat person. As always, you can find the accompanying lecture slides for this podcast in PDF form in the Canvas module. So in order to talk about what we want this essay to be, it's also worth distinguishing what we don't want it to be. So in this case, I'm talking about the distinction between summary and analysis. And both are useful tools for different situations and in different contexts. So just to clarify, when we summarize a text, we capture its main points. We describe what it is, what it's saying, what it's about. Uh, when we analyze a text, we consider how it's been put together. We dissect it to see how it works. We critique it. And the thing about analysis is that, of course, our own opinions become part of our analysis of a text, right? But they don't exist in a vacuum, right? They're based on the evidence that the text itself shows us. So analysis requires thinking about not just what a text is saying, but how it's saying it and why it's saying it. Uh, so summary is in, the in the context of analyzing a story like Cat Person is a bit like a book report. It's the description of what happens. And we're not interested in that. All of us have read the story. We all know. Instead, what you want to focus on in this essay is analysis, thinking about how it works, and why uh, Kristen Rupinian, the story's author, put it together the way that she did. So your essay will be focused on analysis rather than summary. And this is, of course, a sort of long-winded way of saying, please, please, please do not just summarize the plot of the short story for me. I've read it. I know what happens. That's not what I'm asking you to do. So I want to give you guys an example of summary versus analysis. And this is hopefully helpful because it's an analysis you might, or sorry, it's an example that you might find in the wild. So if you look at the lecture slides for this week uh, on slide number five, you will see a uh, summary. Uh, this comes from the Amazon description of the text V for Vendetta. So you look at the slide, you can see set in a futuristic totalitarian England, a country without freedom or faith, a mysterious man in a white porcelain mask strikes back against the oppressive overlords on behalf of the voiceless. Armed with only knives in his wits, V, as he's called, aims to bring about change in this horrific new world. His only ally, a young woman named Evie Hammond, and she is in for much more than she ever bargained for. Okay, so that's fine as far as it goes. It tells me what happens in V for Vendetta, but it doesn't analyze what happens, right? If you think back to last week and you think about this discussion of, of not just what something is, but how it works and why it might work the way that it does, there's none of that here. But if you go to the next slide, you can see a user review, which is in contrast very much about analysis. So here is Marcy's review. In V for Vendetta, authors Alan Moore and David Lloyd capture the reader's attention from the start of the graphic novel and never let it go. The book fully lived up to my expectations as my five-star rating reflects. 
One thing I especially appreciated was the interplay of word and text in the graphic novel. Graphic novels have more to offer than a novel in that they contain both text and image. Moore and Lloyd use this to their full advantage. One thing that particularly struck me was how the text and image combine to affect my reading experience, specifically how using different camera perspectives enhances the storyline, as they often can provide more information to the reader about the plot or even foreshadow. So here you have an analysis of the way V for, v for Vendetta works, about the way that it's successful. And she's particularly interested in using this text as an example of how the larger genre, graphic novels themselves, work. Now, is this an academic style analysis? No, it's not. Uh, you don't need to give a star rating to Cat Person. In fact, please don't. Uh, but you can see here what she's doing. She's thinking about how the text works, about the particular things that make it, in her estimation, successful. So rather than thinking in terms of summary, you want to think in terms of analysis, more along the same lines as Marcy. The thing about analysis is that it requires argument. And in this sense, I don't mean argument like picking a fight. I mean argument like having a point. Uh, in another sort of more academic way to say this is to have a thesis. Your essay needs a major claim or idea around which to build its analysis. Um, analysis requires argument and it requires evidence. But let's start with argument. Let's start with this idea of the thesis. And we're going to talk about also what isn't a thesis. So we'll start thinking about topics, facts, unprovable opinions, and theses. Of these four things, only one of them, the thesis, is an effective tool for an analytical essay. Everything else is not. One analogy that I really like when you think about a thesis is to think about it like you're trying to convince a jury. Think about your reader or readers as jury members. Uh, before they've read too far, they want to know what you're going to be arguing and how you're going to do it. So the more clear you can be about the point of your essay or whatever kind of written work you're producing, the more persuasive you're going to be. Clarity is important, but you also have to have something that you can prove. If you make a promise in your thesis that you can't deliver in the body of your writing, your reader's not going to be persuaded. If you don't make any promise about what your writing's going to be, then your reader will get lost. They won't know why they're there. So after reading a thesis statement, the reader should think, this essay is going to try to convince me of something. I'm not convinced yet, but I'm interested to see how I might be. So you set up your analysis with a thesis claim. You spend the rest of your essay delivering on the promise of that claim. And if you don't have a solid thesis, your essay is going to fail before it begins because it doesn't know the work that it's trying to do. So a thesis, a little checklist for you here, cannot be answered with a simple yes or no. It's not a topic, a fact, or an unprovable opinion. We'll go over those in a little bit more detail in a second. It tells your reader what you plan to argue, and it also telegraphs how you plan to argue, what kinds of support or evidence uh, for your claims you're going to include in your essay. And it sort of gives you an overview sometimes of where it's going to go, which is a lot of work, right, for a single component of an essay to do. And just to heap onto the kind of complexity of that, theses should be short. They are a few sentences. 
ideally a few sentences toward the beginning of your essay in the first or second paragraph. So things that are not theses, and this is slide 11. Types of relationships and cat person. That's interesting, but it's not an argument. What are the different types of relationships in cat person? This is in fact a topic. Topics can be good starting points for thesis, right? If you have a topic that you're interested in, you can push it further. What types of relationships are there in cat person? There are relationships based on text messages. There are relationships that start out mostly with text and end up sort of going badly in person. And those are the romantic relationships. But there are also friendships in cat person, right? There's the roommate. Um, there are all kinds of different relationships. So you can see how an essay that just went from the starting point, types of relationships in cat person, could get very unfocused. It could be a sort of list, kind of meandering discussion, like the one that I've just done for you. So what you want to do instead is work from this point, get from the topic of a type of relationship in cat person to focusing on what you want to say about that topic. So what kinds of relationships there are and how they work, but we aren't there yet. So this is just a topic. Another example of a thing that is not a thesis is a fact, right? Something like in cat person, Margot and Robert don't work out. We know this. You don't have to prove it. There's no work to be done. What we don't know is why this matters or why it's interesting. So you can start with a fact again and build on it. So why don't they work out? Why does it matter? What does Rupinian want us, the readers, to get from this fact? But a fact in itself is not a thesis. The other thing that you want to be careful about when constructing a thesis statement is unprovable opinions. Here's an example. In Cat Person, Rupinian shows the worst ever relationship between two people. There's definitely a perspective there, right? But it's not a perspective that I can reliably prove in the body of an essay. You want to be really careful about superlatives, things like worst ever, because in order to punch holes in that argument, all I have to do is find an example of one other relationship that I think is just as bad or worse, and the whole thing falls apart. So you want to keep the scope of your thesis manageable. It needs to be something that has to be argued, meaning you have to be able to provide evidence from the text. It needs to be something that can be proven. So avoid things like worst, best, etc. Now for this essay, uh, I've done a little bit of this work for you. You aren't coming up with your own thesis. Instead, you're using this one. In Kristen Rupinian's Cat Person, both Margot and Robert fall for the fantasy of a person. While their relationship seems ideal via text, it falls apart in real life, allowing Rupinian to show readers the dangers of a romance based on illusions. So you can see here that this is an argument, right? It's not just a fact or a topic or an unprovable opinion. Instead, it's asking readers to buy into a particular interpretation of the short story. Uh, and it's your job as the writer, since all I'm giving you is the thesis, it's up to you to come up with the body of the essay that will prove the thesis. It's your job to sell this idea, to sell this interpretation. So what does that mean you're responsible for? If you look at slide 13, 
you can see this kind of broken down. So you really want to think about a thesis as a series of promises. Everything that you promise in your thesis, you need to show in the body of your essay. So in order to make the thesis that I just gave you work, you have to show that both Margot and Robert fall for the fantasy of a person. You have to show that their relationship seems ideal via text, but it falls apart in real life. And you have to make the argument that this shows readers the danger of a romance based on illusions. So you have to prove, in essence, uh, that Margot and Robert aren't dealing with reality when they're texting each other. Uh, but when they do encounter real-life scenarios, it doesn't go well, falls apart. And that ultimately the trajectory of this relationship means something larger, that it shows the dangers of a kind of virtual relationship, uh, or maybe that's not it. Maybe it's the kind of imagining what you want people to be rather than what they are. So even though I've given you the thesis, right, you can see here that there's room for interpretation. How you prove these claims is really up to you. The one thing that you will need is textual evidence. When I, spot, when I talk about proving something in an essay, I mean you need to find parts of the text, parts of cat person, that will reinforce thesis. It's not credible just because we say so, right? It's not credible just because your professor's given you this thesis. You need to find evidence in the text itself to support that, to back up your claims. And the best way to do it in an essay like this is to use specific quotations. And specific quotations are helpful because they show that not only is there evidence in the story to prove what you're arguing, they allow you to think about both what the text is saying, the content, and also about the form, how the text says what it's saying. So quotations are your friends. Let's give you an example. So on slide 15, have pulled out one of the points. What seems ideal via text is different in a bad way uh, in real life between Margot and Robbie. So I want to make this argument, right? So I want to go back through the story and think about what kind of evidence I can use from the story to make that claim, to make that point. And so let's say that I want to use the cats as an example. Um, the cats are kind of interesting, right? Because Robert says via text that he has cats, they talk about the cats, uh, but there's no evidence of the cats in real life. So I go back through the story and I find this quotation. She remembered that he talked a lot about his cats and yet she hadn't seen any cats in the house and she wondered if he'd made them up. So here I have this evidence uh, of the cats and of the cats being a very specific break between uh, the way they appear and function in the text messages versus the way that they are absolutely absent in real life. Um, and this reaction that Margot has, she wondered if he'd made them up. Now, bear in mind that she's been to his house exactly once, right? So just because she didn't see them doesn't necessarily mean that they don't exist. Maybe it does. Uh, maybe it says something about her mindset and about how she doesn't quite trust him. But okay, so I have this point that I want to make. I have this possible evidence. And I found this quotation that I think I can use to make this argument. So if we go to slide 16, I'll show you an example of a paragraph in which I attempt to use this textual evidence to do just that. So here's my paragraph. 
The more time they spend together in person, the more Margot notices that the Robert she's been texting with is not the Robert she interacts with in real life. For example, quote, she remembered that he talked a lot about his cats, and yet she hadn't seen any cats in the house, and she wondered if he'd made them up, end quote. Whether this is true or not is uncertain. Just because she didn't see them on a single visit doesn't necessarily mean they don't exist. But it's telling that her reaction is so suspicious. She doesn't trust real-life Robert at all. Since the title of the short story is Cat Person, this distrust feels even more important. When Margot loses faith in the existence of the cats, she's also losing faith in the existence of the guy she liked ever being real. Maybe there never was a cat person after all. Okay, so in this paragraph, I'm using my textual evidence, right? I'm using this quotation about the cats, but you can notice that I'm also arguing about what it means. And this is one of the most common pitfalls of using quotations. We often want them just to speak for themselves, right? We just want to provide the quote and say, look, there it is, analyze. But we can't do that. We want there to be balance. So what I'm asking you guys to do in this essay is to use quotations. In fact, I'm going to ask you to use at least one quotation in every paragraph that's not your introduction or conclusion, but I want you to use them as part of your analysis. So you can see this paragraph here has one quotation, and the rest of this paragraph is explaining that quotation and its significance. So here I have my textual evidence, and I'm describing what I think that textual evidence means, how it fits into my argument. This is, like many writing practices, something that can feel very complex at first, but that gets easier over time and with practice. And that's what I'm sort of asking you guys to do in this first essay. I've given you the thesis and your project, your goal here is to go about the process of finding evidence that supports that thesis and making the arguments about that evidence. So one closing thought for you here, just a little bit of essay etiquette. Uh, please use quotation marks around quotations from the text. When you quote, make sure that you explain the significance of the material you're including. We just talked about that. Uh, this is a, an interesting thing. I'm not sure why it works this way, but it does. So uh, when you talk about an author, you use their whole name the first time you mention them. So uh, the first time you, say, you mention the author in your essay, you'd say, Kristen Rupinian's cat person. But every time after that, you only need to use the author's last name. So Rupinian ends the story with, or Rupinian argues. Never, ever, ever, never, ever, do not use the author's first name only. Kristen is not your friend. Even if Kristen was your friend, you would still use the last name. And again, I don't know why this is, but this is sort of universal writing etiquette, so it's good to learn it now. Uh, please double space your essay and make sure that you meet the minimum word count, which is 750 words. All of this is explained in more detail in the essay prompt. Please let me know if you have any questions or concerns. Uh, please enjoy. I know it's easy for me to say, but I honestly, please enjoy the writing process. Uh, I hope that the short story is interesting enough and the project is compelling enough to make this process uh, seem worthwhile, if not exactly fun. But yeah. Have fun with it. Let me know if you have any questions and please also make sure that you listen to the other lecture for some tips about the writing process. Take care and I'll talk to you next week.